This is from Maine with Love, an Allagash Brewing podcast where we talk about beer, our community here in Maine, and things that generally make us happy. I'm lucky to be joined by Rob Todd, founder and brewer, Jason Perkins, our brewmaster here at Allagash. Liz Wilson, marketing manager, and I'm Brett Willis. For some reason, I've been saying Brett, like I've just been saying my only just my first name for some reason, but I'm Brett Willis, uh, marketing specialist here at Allagash. Uh, thank you. Thanks for joining me or us. Thanks for joining we. Sometimes you don't, you don't need two names. I mean, <laughs> Maradona, you know. Oh, wow. Maradona, thank you. Pele, you know. Thank you. That's, that's very kind of you, Jason. <laughs> So we're going to chat with Rob and Jason about a tradition here at Allagash. Uh, when an employee hits their five-year mark, they and any other five-year employees all go on a trip with Jason and Rob uh, to Belgium. And internally, we call that trip Belagash. One of the rare times we like use a portmanteau here at Allagash. You know, we don't really like doing any of that, but we have that here and we like it. Uh, and so on the trip, the group visits breweries, talks to brewmasters, and generally uh, get to enjoy the beers that inspired Rob and Jason, uh, you know, in the first place. And so... Before we do that, I have a, a question for Rob. Rob, what is your favorite season for surfing in Maine? Hard question. The summer is my favorite season for like favorable weather mm. to not have to wear a super thick wetsuit, gloves, boots, all that stuff. Um, but it's crowded. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if I have a favorite. I think there's like pros and cons to every month, but I do it year round and I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Jason, I got one for you and I'm really interested in your answer here. So what would you say is your play style in hockey? Are you, an, do you like assisting? Are you like scoring? Are you an enforcer? What's what's the play style? <laughs> um, I guess I'm probably the goon, oh. really. <laughs> when somebody needs something done, uh, they'll, they'll, that's when I that's when I hit the ice. I'm usually on the bench until there's problems. And then I'm, <laughs> I was gonna say I noticed yeah. a couple missing teeth uh, yeah. here and there. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's completely untrue. Um, I actually, when I was in high school, I got uh, at the end of the year, I got the award for sport. I got a sportsmanship award, hmm. which means I had the least penalty minutes. But that's like not the award you want to get. Like, <laughs> like all my buddies just gave me a whole bunch of crap because they were like, "Oh, you're the sportsman," you know. It's in hockey here. That's not a that's not a badge of honor. <laughs> that's awesome. We asked social media some people on social media to, um, you know, if they had any questions for uh, you, Rob or Jason. And so we're just gonna get to a couple of them. So. This one could be, I think, a really long answer, but I feel like maybe a slightly shortened version would be best. But so how did the wild friendship blend start? I don't remember. I really don't remember. I mean, probably just casual conversation over a beer at Cantheon. Do you remember, Jason? I actually do. I, I actually am like super, like, I guess, honored to, to say that <laughs> it was John at Cantheon. Who, it was his idea. Wow. Um you know, he does this event every two years in normal circumstances where he hosts an event at the, at the brewery and, um, you know, focuses on winemakers sometimes, breweries sometimes. And he wanted us to be a part of that. And because, you know, we've been making spontaneous fermentation beer here 
for a while and as had Vinny at Russian River. Um, he just thought it would be a fun idea to focus on for this specific event, um, quintessence, they call it. Um, and so that's how it started. It was his ask of us to send beer. And I have to say it might be um, one of the easiest questions I've ever been asked in my life. Do you want to be a part of this blend? <laughs> Pretty easy uh, question to answer. First thing, that was from Brandon Patel. Thank you for that question on Instagram. This next one uh, comes from Danton underscore B. And it's any word on the stage side, wild friendship events. I, I can, I guess I can answer. Yeah, yeah. Go, go for it. <laughs> um, so we're kind of in a way repeating what we did in 2015. So in the first time we did the wild friendship blind event was in 2014 in Belgium and then 2015 in the States. Um, and we did it in two different locations, one in Russian river and one in here in Portland. We're going to kind of follow that to some degree so uh, Russian River will be hosting an event at their brewery on June 12th, I think. I think it's June 12th um, uh, at, at their beautiful brewery in Windsor, California. Um, and sorry, 13th. I just looked up the calendar, June 13th. And then we will be doing something in the greater Portland area uh, on June 16th. Uh, in this area. So uh, in town, we're not going to do a host an event here at the brewery this time, but we're going to do an event in, in town, more details to follow. Great. And uh, I think, you know, we asked for questions or good vibes. And I think this kind of fell under the good vibes, but logger dog official says drink an underberg. <laughs> well, we just checked that box about 15 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> Jason and I finished up a meeting and went right over to the accounting department and had an underberg with a crew of people up here. That's awesome. Couldn't have planned that any better. Oh man. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, from, I think I'm going to, I'm going to try to pronounce the name, but it's Guadalha uh, on Instagram. Do you change the water profile for each beer slash beer style? Yeah. I'll just, the short answer is not for every beer style. No, but we do a little bit of adjustments to our water depending on the beer we're making. Um, but I'll first say that, we don't have to do a lot because how fortunate we are with the water source we pull from. We pull out of Sebago Lake, um, you know, super clean, super well-balanced water profile. Um, it's the municipal water in our area. We couldn't, we were so fortunate to have an unbelievable water source that, you know, for, for drinking, but also for brewing beer with. And um, so there's very little we have to do to like build up the water to get it ready for the kind of beers we're making. But we'll do some calcium additions for certain hoppy beers is the short answer. Cool. Kevin Clifton wonders, and I think this is for either of you or maybe both, what was the feeling like when you tried your own cool ship after three long years of waiting? It was pretty cool. I mean, we, you know, we, we really, I don't want to say we did this project on a whim, but I mean, you have to kind of transport yourself back to, 2006, I guess. I mean, I was in Belgium with Tommy, Vinny, Adam, uh, and Sam from Dogfish, and we spent a week or so um, really focusing on spontaneously fermented beers, the lambis, Lambic beers, and we were just immersed in these beers uh, for a week. And really up to that point, uh, 
all brewers trainings set, had said you could only make these beers in the Seine Valley region in Belgium, in the, in the Brussels area. Uh, and you can't make these beers anywhere else. And I was having a casual conversation with Jean at Cantillon on that trip. And I mentioned that and Jean looked at me and started shaking his head. And he's like, no, you can make these beers anywhere. Uh, you know, as long as you have the right weather conditions, they're going to be different from place to place, but you can make these beers anywhere. So, I, you know, I didn't think a whole lot more about it over the next uh, year and a half or year, but I did wake up one day, probably Jason remembers, I think it was in August of 07. And I just, it just came to me in a flash. I was like, we're doing this. We're going to do it. John said we can do it. We're going to do it. Um, we worked with uh, a couple very supportive brewers in Belgium who we have a tremendous amount of respect for. You know, John at, at Cantillon, uh, Frank Bone, we uh, spoke with a little, Armand at Dre Fontainen, and uh, we, we just dove in and did it, but it was daunting because to my knowledge, it hadn't been done in the U.S., at least on a commercial scale. Um, it's a very long-winded way of getting to, <laughs> it was really, really cool trying it for the first time. It was kind of, I was kind of in disbelief, like, wow, we actually did this. And uh, we've been doing it now for, geez, 15 years now, yeah. I think. I can't That's believe wild. That. That is and you know, Jason does an amazing job brewing those beers and an amazing job blending them. And uh, it's been it's been a fun 15 years for sure. But yeah, the, trying it for the first time, it really was. I, I couldn't believe we'd actually pulled it off. <laughs> Jason, any any other thoughts on, on that? Oh, man, I just totally agree with what you <laughs> said. Um, I, I, I just want to reinforce like how it kind of felt like a it felt like an experiment like a whim for, for years. That was kind of what was kind of funny about the project is, I mean, we literally called it a project for years because it just took that long to really understand what we had. We had, and we started maybe at a year plus in like, okay, maybe this, maybe this could work. You're starting to see some flavor development coming along in those, in the batches that were a year old, but you know, to make a beer like this, you need two to three years to create these beers available for the blend. So I honestly don't remember like a distinctive moment where I was like, oh, wow. Yes. It was more like a slow build of like, wow, this, this is kind of maybe going to work. And, um, that's slowly building over time. That's great. Yeah. And I think like also just for anyone, uh, who's not super familiar with spontaneously fermented beers or the cool chef or lambic style beers and stuff like that, we're going to do an, a podcast episode about that entirely. So you will learn quite a bit, but there's a lot of, you know, information online and stuff about that too. It is a very very interesting process. I guess I get the next question, which is from Beers with Mandy. Uh, and the question is, how do you think about bottle versus can carbonation? Does it matter? Can conditioning? Question mark. Yeah. Um, let's see. Does it matter? It certainly matters. Um, I don't want to oversimplify it, but um, you can bottle condition. You can can condition. There's um, there's different parameters that the, uh, each package, whether it's a 12 ounce bottle, a 750 milliliter bottle, a 375 milliliter bottle, a can are all going to have different specifications of the pressures they can hold and carbonation creates pressure. So you have to keep that in mind um, always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're can conditioning, bottle conditioning or not, having a good understanding of what the 
the package can hold for pressure is super important. Um, but what we found is that aside, which is a big aside, right? Like different carbonations are, are very important. And we choose the bottles we use for 750 milliliter and 375 milliliter bottles because they can withstand high pressure. Right, so we can right. intentionally carbonate very high in those. But, um, you know, other than that very big aside, you can do it in both. Like we can condition, uh, we bottle condition, we do it both. Um, and in the end experience, um, and I'll use white as an example, cause it's the easiest one mm. white in a bottle and white in a can. If you separate and you pour that in a glass, there's no one who can tell the difference. Even our incredibly high trained sensory panel here, they're the same. Great. Yeah. Thanks. And I think our final one, uh, falls again into the good vibes. And I, I swear I didn't write this myself, but Matthew, the Henry says Allagash beer plus identity plus mission feels like a never ending love letter to Maine. Simply beautiful. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. It's awesome. All right. Let's get to the matter at hand. Um, so I think our first question around Belagash, this five-year trip to Belgium is, um, it's kind of for you, for you Rob. And I think it, just trying to set the stage of like, just kind of setting the stage that we are, a, you know, a Belgian inspired brewery. And so, you know, why Belgium, you know, what was it about these beers that inspired you, uh, to model your brewery the way it is? It, it's, it was important to me from day one to give people a unique experience with beer. And I looked at the Belgian brewing tradition as an opportunity to do that. That's like the really simple condensed answer. Mm. Um, I mean, going back to when I started the brewery in 94, 95, it was really important for me to do something that was additive. I really didn't see the point in spending a year cobbling a brewery together, you know, working 16 hour days, building it for a year running it alone for the first year. And then hopefully if things worked out, running it for the rest of my career, mm-hmm. um, I didn't see the point in doing something that was already being done. I wanted to do something different. Uh, there were plenty of great beers and plenty of great beer styles being brewed at the time. Um, but I really, and, and honestly, if we had chosen one of those um, more available kind of popular styles like the Pacific Northwest pale ales, some of the British style beers, the German style beers, all of which I love. If, if we'd have chosen one of those, we probably would have sold a lot more beer over the first 10 years, but I didn't see the point in making something that people could already get. Uh, so I really looked at the Belgian brewing tradition and there were very few brewers um, in the country at the time, making the, the Belgian style beers and the imports weren't that available back in the mid nineties. I looked at that really as an opportunity to give people an experience they'd never had before with beer. And if you're brewing Belgian style beers, uh, you can use fruit with some of the styles. You can ferment the beers with bacteria, wild yeast, uh, lots of different Saccharomyces cultures that Belgian brewers use, Brett cultures, uh, different fermentation processes in stainless steel, in an oak, aging an oak, uh, unmalted grains, spices. So it's kind of an unlimited palette of uh, brewing techniques and raw materials that the brewer has at their disposal to, to create really an unlimited um, palette of experiences for the, for the beer drinker. So I was just really intrigued by that tradition and 
that's why we started making Belgian style beer. Awesome. So when it comes to visiting Belgium and Belagash, you know, we'd love to sort of hear from, you know, either of your words, how you describe it to someone who knew nothing about it. Um, so the experience in general, and as Brett mentioned at the top of the show, once an employee from any department um, hits their five-year anniversary, they get to go on a week-long trip with both of you to Belgium. I mean, well, first of all, full disclosure, uh, New Belgium Brewing had that tradition, <laughs> and I... I'd heard about it. And I mean, in the old days, we certainly didn't have the resources to bring a bunch of people over to Belgium for, for the for the week. And there weren't a whole lot of employees back in the old days. Um, but once we got to the point where we, we did have the resources to do it, um, I was intrigued by the idea. And really, to me, it's kind of three things. Number one, it's a thank you for five years of hard work and, and passion over a five-year period, um, just an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable amount of contributions uh, to our culture and brewery. So A, it's a thank you. B, um, it's an opportunity to be immersed in the Belgian brewing culture and tradition. And even though we can certainly try those beers stateside, uh, it's a totally different experience to walk in uh, to, to these breweries and, and drink these beers with the brewmasters who are, who are creating the beers. So uh, immersion. And then finally, for me, and I, I think for a lot of other employees, um, it's a really fun and unique way to spend time together in a way that we wouldn't otherwise be able to spend that time together. So uh, and we're actually going in about two and a half weeks. I can't wait. These yeah. trips never get old. I always look forward to them. Yeah, and we haven't been in two years now because of the pandemic, so it'll be the first trip back since 2019. Yeah. Yeah. It's I've a lot mine. of excited employees. Yeah, I've got mine coming up. I think I'm in the, like the November camp if that if that trip does happen, so I'm very I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, I'll just add that again, like Rob said, like, you know, 5 years we've worked with these people, and I'm speaking personally, you know, I've worked with these all these people for five years. So, you know, I know them pretty well and, and they're, you know, I consider them all friends, but in most cases, if not all, like I haven't really had an experience like this with any of them, you know? So to be able to get, um, for me personally, to be able to have that time with them, but then the fact that it's all different departments each time, um, you know, there's always a couple people on the brew team, a couple people in the packaging, a couple people in sales, a couple people in, um, you know, in the taste room, et cetera who are on those trips. And so for them all to get together is great. And then the other thing that's cool is, you know, luckily we have people who stay much longer than five years. So it becomes this thing that when, when people have gone, they can talk to the people who are about to go and, you know, talk to them about what they're going to do. And they get back to like, did you go here? Did you go here? And it becomes like another uh, super cool thing for people to connect on, even if they didn't go on the same, on the same trip. That's cool. Um, so I, I kind of like a follow-up question to that is I don't, I don't necessarily want you to go through every single place we visit, but like, what are the regions of Belgium that, that you're normally visiting on the trip? We mix it up. I would say brewery wise. Um, it's usually a third of the breweries we visit. Um, we've never been to before hmm. a third of the breweries we maybe go to every five or six years. 
And a third of the breweries we go to every single year and they never get old. I always, I always look forward to it. Um, but region wise, it, it, it kind of depends on the year in the breweries that we're visiting. Wouldn't you say Jason? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, saying the obvious maybe here, but you know, Belgium is kind of split up into two distinct regions, um, being, you know, you know, uh, the nor- the northern portion, the Dutch speaking portion, and the southern French speaking portion, and um, you know we try to mix up and and hit both regions every year if we can. Um, we do tend to, I guess, probably tend to spend a little bit more time in you know the kind of Dutch speaking Flanders portion of Belgium, but um, we do like to mix it up. It's a it's a beautiful country, so we try to see as much of it as we can. We very often end up with Ghent as a base camp for at least a good chunk of each of the trips, just because it's a beautiful, fun city that's in a, um, I mean, it's in a location where uh, we can get to a lot of the breweries, especially some of the ones that we, that we visit every year. I've been here for about, I've actually almost six years now, but I feel like I've kind of picked up little snippets uh, here and there, but isn't, is the skyline across from that, where we stay there, the inspiration for the uh, label of the beer Belfius? Is that right? Correct. Is that in Ghent? Yes, it is. Yes. Ah, all right. Nice. I thought I had that right. Deep, we're getting deep. <laughs> deep cut, Gotta Brett. Do the deep cuts. Um, <laughs> all right. You get the next question, Liz. So before we get into, you know, what the breweries are and sort of your highlights of the trip, you've, you've landed in Belgium. First beer you're drinking. Yeah, I guess that's a great question. I mean, there are definitely some beers that I always go to every time we go there. But the first beer we arrive is honestly dependent on what brewery we go to. Because, uh, you know, we don't – while there are certain breweries we go to every time, typically just the cadence of our trip, we – when we arrive, we go go to a brewery and, um, you know, usually because of the overnight flight, you're getting in at, you know, nine in the morning, uh, groggy and whatever. I'm a firm believer in powering through, getting a big, heavy day in the first day and not taking any naps. So we usually hit two breweries the first day. And so, yeah, you usually have your first beer in your hand by, um, you know, 10.30 a.m., something like that. So it depends a little bit on what brewery we, we go to visit. Um that's great. But there are many, many beers that I personally always look forward to having when I'm there. And summer ones you can only get there. And summer ones you can get in the U.S., but there's just something really special about the freshness of them there yeah. um, and the experience of drinking them there that is hard to replace in the U.S. You know, I guess a couple of the maybe more obvious ones, certainly, absolutely, Orval. Orval is one of my favorite beers in the world. Um, and it's a beer that's, you know, uh, conditioned with Britannomyces in the bottle and, you know, almost everything you get in the U S if not, everything is, is very Brett focused, which is lovely and amazing. Um, but to be able to drink that beer fresh, you know, after a month or so in the bottle in, in Belgium is a really cool experience because it's a completely different beer. Hmm. Um, I'm also a huge fan of West Mall triple again, a beer you can get in the U S but something about having it over there. I can name any number of the Lambic breweries that are wonderful to drink over there. Uh, and of course, De La Seine beers. I'm mm-hmm. a huge De La Seine fan. And yes, you can get Zinna beer and Terrace Bulba, Bulba here in the U.S. at some places. But um, be able to drink that beer 
in Brussels and the city that it's made is, is pretty phenomenal. Just to name a few. Awesome. How about you, Rob? I mean, my list is going to be pretty similar to Jason's. <laughs> I get on kicks sometimes when I'm over there. Uh, we were just over there just for a few days, but I was drinking a lot of Deconic when I was over there. The Volica is what they call the, the glass that it's served in. And I was drinking a fair amount of that. I guess that would be just a Brabant pale ale, right, Jason? That style. Um, I, was yeah. on, I was on a little bit of a Deconic kick on the last trip. <laughs> but absolutely, all the other beers that, that Jason mentioned. A lot of Orval. Orval is... A lot of Orval and a lot of, now that you can get De La Sen, five years ago was a little bit hard to find that. Now, mm-hmm. uh, Yvonne's beers are, are, you can find them in, especially in the Brussels area. They're, they're very accessible. Awesome. So I guess we, I think it's, it'd be worth getting a little bit specific on some of the breweries. So like, what are some of those breweries that, you know, what are the, you could say some of the bread and butter breweries that we tend to always visit, but like maybe even some of the ones that we visit more often too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we can, there, there are really three breweries that we go to every year mm-hmm. um, without fail. And it's just kind of become our tradition. It's partial tradition. It's partial. They're just really good friends of ours. So um, Cantillon in Brussels, um, just a beautiful brewery, uh, you know, old traditional brewery, amazing beers and that John and the rest of his family are just really good friends of ours at this point. And it's just a cool experience for everybody Mm. to see that place and see in the old equipment, they're still brewing on today in the middle of the city. Um, So that place we always go to De La San, we already mentioned Mm. actually has a new, new brewery, but um, has been in Brussels for, for a a long time. And Yvonne's a personal friend absolutely love those beers. So we always go to those two breweries in Brussels. And then the third one is, um, the Dola brewery, which is, um, in kind of Western, um, Flanders. And, uh, you know, I think we started going there because it's open on Sundays and, um, Sundays is typically a hard time to see a brewery. So I think that's how it kind of originated, um, was we wanted some place to go and they're open on Sundays. Uh, but we have, fell in love with that brewery and um the the husband and wife who own the place are just wonderful people and they do a tour on sundays and that's a place where you can get their beers in the u.s but there's nothing like a fresh ara beer um they're kind of blonde bitter that they sell there uh it just it's it's one of my favorite places to have a beer in the world um so we always go there on sunday on our trips that's awesome so you know, I'm sure, as you mentioned, there's lots of variation between trips. But you know, when you get to to Belgium, uh, what are some of your favorite restaurants and experiences that you know employees seem to really light up around when when you're there? Do any stick out in particular? There's one, and I'm not gonna you know make any claims that it's the most like gourmet experience (laughs) but it's uh called amadeus it's a basically a rib it's a rib joint (laughs) and uh yeah i mean my mouth watering just thinking of it i've got this rib bucket here that i put my receipts in (laughs) 
It's a long story how I came to acquire that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Amadeus ribs, unbelievable. I mean, the ribs, they're, I don't know, it's just a really unique experience. It's all you can eat ribs and then all you can eat potatoes. And the, it's like a baked <laughs> potato wrapped in foil, uh. sliced down the middle, and they put a huge, like, heaping dollop of like a butter curry. Oh, um, like I'm going to start practicing for that now. Yeah. It's like a butter curry <laughs> dollop. Yeah. On the potato and you can eat all the ribs and potatoes you want and drink all the, um, very, I would say not so great wine you want. <laughs> but yeah, we love, we love Amadeus. And then unfortunately, one of our favorite Wadazui spots in Ghent is closed, um, or at least it merged with a bar uh, who I think they share ownership with. And it's now just a place to drink beer, but um, it was called Shaleontine in, in Ghent, and they had unbelievable fish Wadazui and chicken Wadazui. And we were super sad on our last trip to see that that had closed. And then uh, Le Brigitine, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, it's a, a friend of Jean's in Brussels owns this restaurant. His name is Dirk. Um, and the food is unbelievable. Um, and the experience in, in there is unbelievable. It's really cool. It's like, it, it's kind of got like very formal looking, almost like Victorian decoration. It's not uncommon for half the people in there to have suits on and, um, it just, it, it's got a very formal feel to it. And then all of a sudden, like halfway through the dinner, Dirk will drop the needle on like a Led Zeppelin album. <laughs> Frankie Led Zeppelin. <laughs> looking around. So it, it's a pretty cool experience and delicious food. We just ate there. Jeez, we were eating there a week ago, right, Jason? Wild. So I actually have a question to back up. What is Water Zooey? It's a traditional... I guess Flemish dish, right, Jason? Uh, yeah, it's like a Flemish stew, like um, cream base with chicken or fish. Chicken, I think, is typically more common, but yeah, it's cream base for the chicken, and then um, it's uh, more broth based for the yeah broth based fish. For the fish. And the fish usually has like a flaky white fish, scallops, mussels. Hmm. Uh, Sounds like Belgian chowder. I don't know if that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind interesting. Is like that, yeah. Um, there's yeah. another. So there's another one. Uh, at least I, I guess is more of a bar than a restaurant. But I feel like that is kind of like gained legendary status here. But it's is it? Uh, there's like bikes hanging from the ceiling and like just kind of stuff in various places. What what is the name of that place? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we can cut it. We cut it from the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jason, do you wanna? Yeah, sure. Um, if we don't, if we don't want to talk about it, we can leave it as no, secret. No, no, we'll talk about it. It has a little bit of a sad ending. That's all. It oh, does. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, uh, Velocha is the name of the place, which means tiny bicycle, mm. um, and it's it's in Ghent. Uh, and it's, I, I actually got introduced to it. I, Rob and I were talking about this on our last trip. I think it was 2007 when I got, when I was over there and, and uh, a Belgian friend was basically like, you need to, you need to go see this place. And he was with his wife and 
his wife was like, no, don't take him there. Please don't take him there. Please don't take him there. And he was like, no, no, he want, he needs to see this place. And of course I was immediately intrigued. Uh, and you go into this place and it's, it's not large. It's really small. It's called the little, the little bicycle. Cause he does have all these old bicycles, including some really cool old, like, I believe one of his bicycles he claims was from the Napoleon army. I think Wow. it's just an experience is really, really hard to describe. Um, and we've had a lot of really fun, comical nights in this joint. <laughs> um, and the owner leaving, we, uh, you know, have made such an impression on him, we, on us that we actually made a beer named after him, a blend of right. wild beers. Um, super interesting place. Uh, and then we kept going there every single year. Um, the sad end of the story is we just found out on this last trip that it is closed. Oh no. We actually ran into leaving when we were walking around the streets again. And, um, it's, it's done, done for good. He says just by happenstance, so, you ran into him. Yeah, he was just, it was like a super sunny day in Ghent, and he was just sitting in a chair. Riding his tiny bike. Yep. Oh. Place. Yeah, on this little alley called Calverstieg, and he was at the head of the alley, just maybe 30 feet from his door, just sunning himself in like a beach chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we were walking by, and I was like, is that leaving? So, but yeah, some of the nights there, I mean, I mean, literally, the entire ceiling is taken up by things hanging. You can't even see the ceiling. There's so much stuff hanging. <laughs> Floors are completely covered with boxes and stuff. The uh, tables, there's boxes piled everywhere. And I mean, I remember one time we were in there, he had a fire going in the fireplace, <laughs> which I think is like a, this is like a 16th century fireplace. And he had like an eight foot stick of wood sticking out of it. And he was just like, <laughs> Pushing the wood into the fire is it burned. There was no lights, no electric light. It was all gas lights and candles. And there was a cat in there, like, jumping around. I mean, that's like, it was probably like the number one cause of fires. Cats knocking lanterns over in the 1800s or whatever. And, and yeah, it was just... Oh, man. And there was always something going on in there, which was <laughs> unexpected. Oh, That's awesome. I'll, I'll miss, I really yeah. will miss yeah. it. There was one night we were in there, it was a little late. We had probably visited a few breweries that day. And there's this <laughs> uh, stone clock, probably, I don't know, it's like 18 inches wide and eight inches tall or something. And I just, I was like, I wonder if Levin would sell it. I'm not even sure why I wanted it. And <laughs> he negotiated on a price. I walked out and I walked around Ghent that night for a couple hours, lugging this <laughs> clock around, which probably weighed 20 pounds. And then I put it in my bag, lugged it all around Belgium. And then unfortunately, uh, it, it I checked the bag and I don't know if TSA broke it or the airline broke it, uh -huh. but... When I opened the bag stateside, it was shattered in 50 uh. pieces. So I spent like three months just like painstakingly piecing it back together with epoxy. And But it was kind of cool. I found an old note inside it, a letter inside really? it, which is still inside it. It was written in uh, Dutch and I had it translated. It was pretty 
It was pretty cool. Something about like treasuring oh time and oh. you know, not wasting time. I thought so. you were gonna say like that's where I got the recipe for Allagash White. <laughs> yeah, the clock's right behind me. The letters, the letters right in it. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> oh man, leaving. That's too bad. Okay, all right. It in, Brett. So to get us back on track, I, I feel like this is. I mean, this is maybe one of the. I, we've. I feel like both of you kind of already answered this, but this is maybe one of the questions I'm most interested in. And it's just like, what do you hope that employees take away from the experience? Like, what do you hope people get out of it? Ooh, I mean, like I said, it kind of goes back to what I um, think is so just unique about the trip is just the immersion in the Belgian brewing culture. So hopefully just by actually being there, drinking the beers with the brewers, like in these breweries, sometimes historic breweries that are a hundred plus years old. It's just, it's a, it's a really like different, unique way to experience these beers that you just wouldn't be able to get if you were just buying them on the shelf here stateside. And then, like I said, it's one of the things I love about the trip. It's just a great way to spend time with people um, that we work, that we all work with. And hopefully they feel the same way when they come back. They're like, wow, like I wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to spend uh, a week with someone in the sales department, um, you know, talking about Belgian brewing traditions, talking about. Uh, work, talking about life, you know, hobbies, wh whatever it is. It's just a really cool, unique way for everyone to get to know each other in a different way and, and spend time together. I really think they get the same thing out of it, or I hope they get the same thing out of it that I get out of it, which is, which is all those things. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, maybe the only thing I'll add is just on the kind of on the expanding on the beer side and the tradition side, like, the way that beer is kind of revered and treated in Belgium is really like nowhere else. You know, you, you could certainly argue today that pretty easily argue, frankly, that the amount of creativity, the amount of the wide range of beers in the U S is kind of more is broader than it is in Belgium, just because of the number of breweries in the U S the amount of experimentation going on. But it's really hard to find anywhere else in the world that kind of, treats beer with the same level of reverence and respect that it happens over there. And that's like, even at a, the hotel bar, right? Like you order a beer at the hotel bar and you're going to get it, you know, in the proper glassware with the, with the, the logo of the brewery facing you as it's served this perfect head of foam. Like there's just, there's that part, but then talking to all these brewers who maybe have been doing it for a couple of years, or maybe they've been doing it as a third or fourth or fifth generation brewer the way that they talk about their craft and the way they talk about what they they do is just such an amazing experience for all of our staff to be a part of. That's great. I'm counting down in a couple years. I'm counting them down. <laughs> You're closer than that. <laughs> I am. Yes. I am. So that, that comes at five years. So, Robin Jason, is there, I guess, you know, what else is there? Is there something that comes after that? Like, is that, is that kind of the big perk? Well, there's something that actually I need to take advantage of. 
2.7 times over. <laughs> and that's uh, a sabbatical, a one month paid yeah. sabbatical that you get um, after 10 years at the brewery. And, you know, our hope is, and um, this is how it works. I mean, you, 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 you pick a month of time and completely unplug, you know, delegate whatever you need to delegate to, to coworkers and um, just get a one month, you know, com- complete break and recharge. That's awesome. Um, like I said, I've still got to do mine. Uh, I think I, I love working here too much, so I never, I never <laughs> want to leave. I don't want to leave for a, for a month. Um, but at some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna take mine, and I think surfing might be involved. But yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool perk. Um, we've had a number of employees that have reached that milestone, and I should know the answer to this right offhand. Don't we do another one month sabbatical, Jason, at 15 years? And I think you've been able to do both. So yeah, you get your first one at 10 years and then every five years afterwards. That's awesome. Um, I guess I'm technically due a few more myself, (laughs) but I have taken one uh, and it was, uh, it's unbelievable. um, The generous thing that Allagash does. And it's just to be able to kind of truly disconnect for, a month is, and it's really strongly not encouraged. It's basically required that you're, you're off the grid right. for, a, for at least a month. You can go as long as six weeks if you want to add your own additional uh, paid time off to that sabbatical. But one month is kind of the extra time. Um, and it's worth noting for, especially for those in the academic world, it's not really a sabbatical. <laughs> it's like, it's like four weeks of vacation. <laughs> you're not required to come back with some, uh, dissertation you learned during time away. <laughs> Somebody started That's that great. rumor the other day. I don't know who went, Matt, I think it was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was trying to make the re- only requirement be that you need to take a picture of yourself drinking an Allagash White somewhere fun, but I don't actually think many people have done that. So, awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I ran into one of our employees once on their sabbatical completely randomly. I was getting on a gondola out in Colorado, it, it, I was just out there skiing with the family. It was a frigid day. So everyone was covered up head to yeah. toe. And I started talking to my wife, Betsy, and someone across the gondola goes, Rob? I'm like, huh? <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> it, was, it was one of our employees. I didn't even know he was in Colorado oh, skiing, God. but they, we ended up on the same, same gondola. That's amazing. I ran into about halfway through a sabbatical. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Thank you both yeah. for taking the time to talk about the Belagash yeah. trip. It was super fun to hear about, and it got me also quite excited uh, yeah. to go on my trip, which is coming up soon. Yeah, this will be a really fun one. I mean, we only asked you a few questions, but we got so many from social. That's really fun. We'll have to do another version of that. Thanks, everybody. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you all. Later. This has been an Allagash Brewing production. If you have something you want us to talk about on the show, shoot us a message at podcast at allagash.com or you can always DM us on Instagram at Allagash Brewing. Thanks, everybody.